0: Our missions pastor, Wes White, is uh, here this morning. Uh, he'll be stepping in today, and uh, he'll tell you that we, s- we start a little bit early because although he talks a little fast, he has a lot to say, so we'll just let him get going. Thanks, Wes. All right. Well, thanks. Uh, it's probably true. I do talk fast, so uh, um, hey, it's good. I-, I love this time. I love when men get together um, because men, to it's be, it's be real, we need other men in our lives, it's not that we don't need our wives and their opinions. We, we do. That's how we get dressed in the morning and probably how we're still alive. But, man, we need other men to speak in, into our lives. And so I, I think it's great that we as men get together and say, hey, listen, we're, we're committed at least to two things. One, eating. This is which we're usually pretty good at. And two, the word of God. Uh, man, and when I look out at our culture now and I look at some of the next generations that are coming out, listen, we need men. Who will lead we need men who will lead their families we need men who will lead this country we need men who will say listen i am unashamed of the gospel and the word of god and so i am grateful that we get together on a friday morning just as men and uh we can get around a table and talk and encourage one another and say hey it's okay to study the word of god and so uh, i'm excited that you're here and if you're new i'm sorry you got me this morning um claude's been teaching the abacuc Uh, We've been going through this book in the Old Testament. It's Minor Prophet, and, um, well, I'm his backup, and so uh, you got stuck with me. Matter of fact, Claude, you've done a great job at this book so well that my father-in-law knew that I was going to speak this morning, and after Claude finished Chapter 2 last week, and we're getting ready to look at Chapter 3 this morning, he looks at me and goes, how are you going to top that? (laughs) Like, really, man? I didn't know this was a competition. Um, so uh, here we are. No pressure. Uh, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that um, this morning. And, uh, but yeah, hey, listen, if you're new it's your first time, um, hey, we're going through this little book called Habakkuk. And Claude, I said, really, Claude has just done a great job just, exponen- uh, just going through this text verse by verse. And so here's the thing about Habakkuk, right? So Habakkuk comes onto the scene. He's kind of a little different than Nahum and Micah really before him. Where they're going kind of saying, hey, God, why are you judging our people so much? Whereas Habakkuk comes on the scene and goes, whoa, why aren't you doing something? Why are you not doing something? To you see the sin, you see this evil, you see what's going on, why don't you do something? And we see that he comes to God with this question, God, why aren't you showing up and doing something? And God says, let me, let me just, uh, let me answer you real quick. And so God gives his answer, and then he comes back, and he hears the answer, and he's not so huge on the answer. And he's like, whoa, wait a minute here. Um, why are you going to let these Chaldeans and Babylonians come destroy, really, Judah? I mean, why are you going to do them? They're actually worse than the Israelites. And why are you going to do this? And so last week, we looked at the five woes that God says, hey, don't worry, I- I'm going to judge them, too. And to end, uh, the end of chapter 2, you have this verse It says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Hey, I think that's just a good word. And sometimes in our culture, in our society, I think Trav talks about a lot too, man, we just stop and we're not just silent. Because God's in his temple. God is on his throne. And because of that, it ought to make us just go, just need to pause and just listen to him. Instead of us all doing talking or noise in our lives. I I did youth ministry for for a long time. And of course, I have three teenagers right now and two of them are here. And and, uh, man, we love our noise. Especially my oldest man. He loves his noise and he's always listening to music. And sometimes I go, man, can we just get a little silence? And uh, my father-in-law comes to my house and go, you have the noisiest house I think there is. Can we just get a little silence? And so I'm trying to teach my boys this verse, dad. So uh, we'll get them let all the earth keep silence before him. And so then we go to this chapter 3. Here we are. We're going to go through this this morning as quick as we can. We get about five minutes to eight. Somebody just raise their hand and tell me, okay? Uh, Because I don't have a clock, and I want to get you out here on time. So um, (coughs) my mom used to do that when I'd preach. Uh, So here it says, it says this, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to the... I don't know how you're going to say this. I'll ask Connor later. But it's interesting right here. So in chapters 1 and chapters 2, man, we have, we have Habakkuk on the scene going, hey, God, what are you doing? Hey, God, what's going on? Hey, here's the response. Hey, whoa, whoa, wait, what is this? So all of a sudden, man, we have this change. Like, what has caused this change? And we're going to see in this chapter, man, Habakkuk comes to God and says, look, and he's come, he begins this... This book in gloom, but man, we're going to end it in glory. He begins this book kind of with a big question mark, but man, you're going to see this morning that he's going to end it with a big exclamation point. And there's been a change that has just taken place in Habakkuk's life. And I just want to say this word right here. I just wanted to stop and say a prayer. We talk here at the chapel that prayer precedes movement, but prayer is the fundamental thing to change in our lives and in our hearts. It changes our perspective on everything that's going around. Man, things are not looking good for Habakkuk. I mean, he sees what's coming, he sees the destruction's coming into actually, he's gonna endure it. And after seeing saying, hey, listen, this is what God's gonna bring upon me and my people, and I'm gonna have to walk through this trial. We have this verse that says a prayer. Man, that's interesting. I mean, we could just take a whole moment here. I was talking to Claude, I go, Claude, I think I could just hang out. Verses one and two. I mean, we could just have a good time. But we're going to keep going. So, what's changed? Now, back, it's on this watchtower, remember? He's on this watchtower, and he's just been waiting patiently for this God's response. And as he's sitting there, everything begins to change. And we're going to kind of see verses one and two, we're going to see kind of this prayer. And in verses kind of three through really about 17, we're going to kind of see kind of God's program. And actually, kind of verses, well, maybe verses 16, verses 17 through 19, we're going to kind of see, well, they're going to see the prophet's posture or position. And so, we're going to look at this this text this morning in kind of that way. And so we have this verse, uh, this word in here, and it says, according to the shiginoth. I don't know how you're going to say it, but that's how we're going to say it. We're just going to say the shigo. And uh, it's actually a musical term. It's in Psalm 7. It's in the singular form. I'm going to say it's, it's a musical term. Let's just keep going. Uh, end of this chapter, he says, hey, you do this according to string in- instruments. So this is actually like a psalm. I mean, we could actually throw this in the book of the Psalms, but for some reason, it didn't make it, so it's here. So here we go. He says this, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. Actually, he said, I've heard of the hearing of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear? That's interesting. Heard of the five woes, right? He says, God, I've heard, all right, so I've heard what you're gonna do. And now I mean I am actually shaken to the core of who I am. Some versions say, man, I am afraid. And why? why? Why is all of a sudden, man, he afraid? It, it is interesting, right? Because before Habakkuk starts to go and says, God, why aren't you doing anything? And all of a sudden, God says, oh, by the way, I'm going to do something. And now all of a sudden, is like, well, wait a minute. I didn't realize you are going to do that much. <laughs> I mean, isn't that true in our lives? Sometimes we say, hey, God, I want you to do this. And all of a sudden, man, he does something. And you're like... Well, I didn't mean that much. Hey, God, I want you to help me be a patient person. That's like the one prayer you say, never ask anybody to pray for patience. Because when you ask for patience, what does God do? He gives you trials to produce patience in your life. So we always say, hey, God, give me more be, help me be a more patient person. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, I didn't want that in my life. Because well, that's what's producing patience in our life. And so it's interesting here. He says, man, I fear what God's going to do. God, I ask you to do something, man. And what you just showed me is that you are going to do more so here we go, this lesson, the second part of verse 2, it says this, in the midst of the years, revive it or renew it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. These are only two petitions that we have in this prayer. One is that, God, hey, you're going to do it. You're actually for might and for mercy, that you're going to renew your work. Hey, what, God, what you're going to say, I want you, what you just said you're going to do, you do it. But after what I just heard you're going to do, hey, remember mercy. <clears throat> God, in your wrath, remember mercy. And we love that we serve a God of, uh, that's of love. Man, we hear that. I mean, you look at Hollywood, they'll say, ooh, God's love, but we don't talk about his wrath. And God's a just God. But also, man, in the message of justice, he goes, here's, here's the back going, hey, I see what's coming. Because we read about it in the five woes. Hey, remember mercy. I think that's a good word for us sometimes. Man, we, let's just be honest. Some of us, we, we, we do have little tempers that we might remember mercy in those times. Hey, we remember mercy. And then sometimes when we see things injustices in our world and we see things taking place that we say, God, will you do something? But in the midst of you doing something, will you remember mercy? <clears throat> sometimes we don't like that. But man, that's a good prayer that we ought to pray. All right, so now we're getting ready. That's kind of his prayer. This is what he kind of says. He sets up. Now we're going to kind of get into kind of God's program here. He's going to kind of go back and remember the past. And so this next section is kind of it's going to be a remembrance time. Hey, back, I know what I just showed you is going to be, it's hard. I know because, because here we see of the prophet, saying, I'm afraid. Guy, he understands this it It's difficult. But hey, I want you to remember what I've done in the past. It's kind of like Philippians 1.16, right? He that began a good work in you will what? Will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, God that began something in you will complete it. I talked to a good buddy this past week, a guy I used to work with in California, and man, he's just struggling. Marriage been struggling, jobs struggling. I said, hey, man, let me just text you this verse. He that began a good work, and you will finish it. Man, will you trust in the one who sustains all? And will you seek him? I sent that two days ago. Last night, he sent to me and says, because we've been talking about this. He says, hey, Wes, I, I, I've never fasted, so I'm fasting today. Is that just the sundown or to, to, to the next morning? Because I told him, man, listen, you need to pray and fast to seek God for clarity and answer once you do. And then you need to pray and fast for your wife, and you need to fight for that marriage. And so he texted me last night, and I thought, all right, man, we make making progress. Because God began a good work in him. He's not going to let him go. God began a good work in you. And so here we got this text. Habakkuk sees all of a sudden, man, the utter destruction. We already see what happens to northern Israel. Now we're looking at Judah. Great fear could come upon him. It says here, it's great afraid. He's afraid. And so all of a sudden, we jump into here. And we're going to move so it says this in verse 3, God came to Taman, which is just the, the grand, it was named after the grandson of Esau. So this is the Edomite city. And he says, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. This would be just to the western mountain, just the west of the Sinai Peninsula. And so this is actually kind of a, if you look over, we don't have time this morning, but if you looked at Deuteronomy 33, 2, you would see this when it's talking about what's happening and what's taking place here. And over these next passages, uh, verses 3 kind of really through 16, some people say you can see about three men referenced in these passages, of the stories we're going to talk about this morning. Some people say you can see Abraham. Some people say you can see Moses. And some people say you can see Joshua. Some people say you can only see two people. You can see Moses and Joshua. I'm kind of under that camp. So we're going to look at this. But what you're going to see is you won't see anybody's name mentioned. You'll see the stories that they were leading in, and they were, they were, they were the key people in those events, but you'll never see their name mentioned. Why? Because in this prayer, at the prophet, saying, listen, we want to talk about what, not what the, the work that man has done, but the work that God has done. Interesting. Because when we'll read some of these texts, you go, oh, yeah, man, that, that brings me right to that event. I know that event. But he doesn't mention the men. So this chapter 3, this would go right to Deuteronomy 33, 2, which you'd see Moses speaking there. He says, His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of praise. His glory covered the heavens, and you would see this, and you see his brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. And before him went pestilence, and the plague followed at his heels, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the mountains. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. So, so you can see in this text probably a couple things. You can kind of see um, in verse five, you can kind of see before him went pestilence and the plague followed at his hills. We could think of that as the, the 10 plagues, right? The Moses, the Exodus leading out. Some people say, well, maybe it is Abraham. That's remember in, in, in uh, Genesis 12:1, where, hey, there was a famine, and so um, Abraham continued on going down to Egypt. And, but I think it fits better here with, with, with uh, Moses. But then he stood and measured the earth. And some people say, well, no, that's Abraham, when he said, hey, look, measure this land, measure out what I'm going to give you. But it's about what God does here. It's about his glory. It's about what he does. It's about what he is, and so he, ta- he talks about this. He's talking about what God did. Remember what God did. Remember this exodus. Remember this story. Remember what God did. Moses received the Ten Commandments the, on holy ground. The earth shook. So we got here. Man. He looked and he shook the nations. The eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His ways are everlasting ways. Everlasting ways. He's kind of getting his mind wrapped around the God he serves. And sometimes in the midst of our finite circumstances, we got to remember there's an infinite God with an infinite plan that's better than our finite minds can comprehend. That's just a reality. And so I love this prayer about Habakkuk, man. He's trying to get our minds to wrap around something bigger than ourselves. Because he knows when we're focused on ourselves that we are actually a small person. But when we get our minds on something bigger, it can help us overcome any obstacle. And so, all right, we're going to look at chapters, verses 7 through 15 here. We're going to break it down. Here we're going to kind of see, verses 7, if you're taking notes, verses 7, um, verses 3 through 7, we just saw kind of God's appearances. That's kind of what we saw. Verses 3 through, through, through this, these verses, you see God appear. He appears on the uh, uh, giving of the Ten Commandments. He appears at certain places. And now we're going to really look at God's kind of actions. And, we're, and in verses 7 uh, through 11, we're going to look at God's actions in nature. And then we're going to, and then verses 12 through 15 and 16, we're going to look at God's actions among the nations. And then we're going to close it out and look at the back its posture. So look at this and... Verse 7, he says, I saw the, the tents of Cushan in affliction, and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. And here's Cushan and Midian, they, they laid a, a, on either side of the Red Sea. And so he's saying, Hey, remember, remember the Red Sea, remember the crossing of the Red Sea, remember that incredible event. And so we're talking about here about nature here. He says, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses? on your chariots of salvation. He's saying, hey, listen, really was, when God said, hey, let's split the the Red Sea or you think about the crossing of the Jordan River, hey, was his God mad about the waters? Was he saying, listen, I'm going to take it down these waters. I'm going to stop these waters from going. (laughs) No. But he's showing you that God is God. He is creator. He is controllable of of things that we go. That's nature. He could, could stop the water in its path and create dry land to walk across. We see God's action in nature that he's powerful. And we stop to think about that sometimes. We fail to see that, that that takes place sometimes. You know, in this text, it does this a couple of times, and we'll look here just a second, but in verse 3 and then verse 9 later on, in verse 15, it has this word at the end of the verse, says, selah. And we'll look at it in just a second. But he says this in verse 8, was your wrath. He's talking about nature. And he says, verse 9, you strip the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows." And then it has this little word, Selah. Now, what does that mean? Now, some people say, all right, right, this is a musical psalm. And so it could be like a, this could refer to the musical aspect of, and here, this refers to some climatical. This is the climax of the song. But we're just going to go with, I'm going to go with some just average day commentators and say, hey, this just means the pause. Hey, take a pause. Let's stop. Let's think. Let's meditate on what's just been said. And I think that's great. Because oftentimes, man, we come to God's word, we read, 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 we boom, go out our door. If we have a devotion in the morning, if we don't, we ought to. But when we do, we read God's word and then we run out the door without thinking. One of the best advice my dad said, hey, Wes, do you have time to Lord? Yeah, dad, I have time. So what do you do? Man, I read God's word and man, I pray and then I go. He goes, so you read God's word. Yeah, yeah. Then you pray. Yeah. So what do you do during your prayer? And I said, well, this is, dad, this is what I do in my prayer. He goes, man, I didn't hear any time where you stopped and paused and just Listened. He says, listen, don't forget to listen, to meditate on what you just read. When you pray and you ask God for something, do you ever stop and to listen to see what his response is? It's about 19 years old when my dad gave me that advice, probably the best advice he's ever given me, to stop and to pause and think. And so here's the writer back and saying, hey, let's just take a pause, meditate what's getting ready to be said or what's been said. He says, listen, God is... He's in control of the nature. He shows himself that he can split the Red Sea. He can walk and stop waters. He can do incredible things. This pastor can be referring to the hail that comes down, the arrows that come down, that he has supernatural control, that God, listen, remember who God is. Remember the God who served. Because, listen, imminent danger, imminent destruction is on, it's on the doorstep. God, hey, remember, just take a Pause. So, verse 10, here we go. The mountains saw you writhe. Before it, sh- it kind of shook, now they rived. The raging water swept on. The deep gave forth his vo- voice. It lifted his hand on high. And verse 11, the sun, this is good. now we're talking about here Joshua, right? At Gibeon. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. And we see this, we see this, these flashes of lightning could have been here, could have been really referring to the hell as well in Joshua chapter 10 and in verses 11 through 13, you see this where he stops the moon, the sun, the moon at Gibeon. We see God's control over nature. He's super powerful and he, he and this psalm reminds us of that. And then in verses 12, we, we start looking at God's actions. Verses 12 through 15, we'll see kind of God's action among the nations. I'm going to kind of keep going here real quick. It says, you marched through the earth in fury. Hey, we're going to the promised land. We've got to remove some nations out of the way. And when you read the story of Exodus and you read the story of Moses, where he didn't quite make it to the promised land, but then Joshua continues on to lead his people across the Jordan River. I mean, God had to go before them and clean out some people and do some pretty. When you read it, people go, whoa, that's not a loving God. As a God who went out and spread in fury. He marched and he cleaned out. And, he, and, he, and you'll see him, he removed the Amorites from the land. It's God's control and his plan among the nations. And so he says this. He says, you threshed the na- na- nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. And by the way, that word anointed there would not refer, that term is never used referred to the Old Testament nation of Israel. So most commentators say this, this anointing here refers to the Messiah that will become, that there is a Messiah that who come one day and ultimately redeem his people, that, that God's plan from Genesis to Revelation has always been about the redemption and the restoration, that Christ, that you can see Christ in anywhere you go in the Old Testament, you have to look in, you, you can see him in the New Testament, the Old Testament, that Christ, the gospel is the center of everything. I spoke a Tribe Wednesday night to a bunch of college students and uh it was great. And so uh, it's just fun because I've talked about, listen, we're going to talk about this New Testament text, but I go, you cannot understand this New Testament text if you don't understand the Old Testament. I mean, you don't understand why we're affected by a curse if you don't understand the curse. You see, you see this foundation, Genesis is foundation to why we need a Savior. And so he's saying here, listen, this is why we need the an anointed. Listen, we, we need a Messiah because, listen, we have been affected. There is, listen, just because physical Destruction is about to come. There's a spiritual destruction too, and without a redeemer, there is no redemption. There is no hope for us. All right, I'm, let me keep going back. I start a little preaching. He says, "You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck." Selah. Stop. Let's just take a pause. Let's think. Let's meditate. Uh, I was reading a commentary. And someone said this, and I don't know if it was Jay Vernon McGee or not. It may have been. It says, the utter destruction of a people ought to cause us to pause. I love World War II. I mean, I love history. My, my, my grandfather was at Pearl Harbor. And uh, him and his brother both. And so I loved it, just hearing the stories and hearing things. And I served at a church in California where one of the guys was on Iwo Jima and one of the few survivors, actually, one of the first ones that went in and still survived. And you hear about the utter destruction on both sides. It ought to cause us to pause. Because eternity is reality, right? When a man dies, he's going to spend the rest of his eternity in one or two places, and either in heaven, in the presence of God, or in hell, complete separation from God. See, in times of destruction and there's loss of life, it ought to cause us to To pause on both sides. I love that. Habakkuk put that in here. All right, let me keep going. In verses 14 and 15, he says, You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Notice the prophet now uses himself. He's talking about it's coming against me. But hey, whatever you use, the warriors use, you're actually going to use it against themselves, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Just stop right there, and we see God's work among the nations: the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan River, taking over the plan of Exodus. And so, in this area, we have this great illustration of what God's doing in His past. And so, I've taken too long this morning, but I still want to take some time and just do this real quick before I finish this chapter. So, here's what I want you to do: This is not normal. It's not something we do at men's breakfast. The other night, I was talking to my my son. We were driving back, and we had this discussion my oldest son. He said, uh, Dad, I'm not so sure sometimes about God. I mean, I'm a pastor. I mean, I was a missionary for seven years. I'm like, this is not the conversation I thought I'd have with my son. (laughs) I thought we were pretty sure on this one. Uh, This is my oldest son. And I said, all right. He said, I'm just not sometimes I'm... I don't know. I don't know if he's there. I'm not sure. I said, hey, do you remember that God's done some incredible things in your past? Oh, yeah. Remember when, even, even in Spain this past summer? I mean, you told stories. Yeah. Remember when in Spain, we saw God do some pretty incredible stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's important that we remember what God's done in our lives, those moments. I mean, I could spend hours and tell you how I've seen God do some incredible things in my life, in other people's lives, how the fact that I arrived in the mission field, how I arrived here. How I found my bride. I mean, we, we see stories, right? We see how you found in your in, in family's life. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take just maybe one or two of you people at your table for about four or five minutes, and then I'll close this up after that. Um, and I'll finish this text really quick. Um, tell a story at your table of where you've seen maybe God appear or God act in a way that you go, you know what, I remember when God did this or I saw God do this, all right? Take a couple minutes, talk at your table. Somebody just say, hey, there's a time when I saw God do this in my life. So introverts, just listen to the extroverts um, at your table. All right. It's good to hear you at your tables. One, I'm excited that men are just talking about, and so we come in, we talk about sports, we talk about something else, but I think it's good when men just get together and we talk about, and hey, let me tell you about a time when I saw God show up. We ought to do that more often. Rarely do we to go to a man and go, hey, tell me what God's doing in your life. Tell me when God showed up. So I think it's good that we do that. So let me finish this up this morning with this incredible text. And the reality is this should be a message on itself, Claude. So um, please forgive me for the disservice of this text. It says this in verse 16. We're going to see kind of Habakkuk. and I'm going to go through it. Here we go. It says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs... Tremble beneath me because he knows what's getting ready to come. Because he says this, yet I quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. He knows it's coming. He sees what's coming. He's absolutely trembling. And so you can see his physical state. You see his physical posture. It's absolutely, he can barely even stand because of what's getting ready to come. Sometimes when we face troubles, there's all of a sudden something pops on us or we see it's coming. By the way, when I read this book, this is the way I, my perspective, things aren't going to get better, they're going to get worse but I've read the back of the book, too, and I know who wins. And I know where our hope lies, and I know where our, where ultimately where we, we arrive one day, that God will come back, and he'll set all the wrongs right, and he will restore what he said he's going to restore, and he will redeem, and he's going to set up a new heaven and earth. I've read the back of the book. I know we win, but in the midst of that, I know the great trouble's coming. Listen, I don't know about you, but America's not getting better. They're not getting more. They're not loving, falling more in love with us. It's getting more challenging. You see the physical state of this, guy, But look at this. You're going to see the contrast of his spiritual posture, spiritual strength. You see his physical weakness, but now we see his spiritual strength. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the yields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the field, and there be no herd in the stalls. He's saying, listen, it's going to be utter destruction. There's going to be complete failure of crop, uh, the crops. It's going to be total loss of sheep and cattle. Look what he says here, and we'll be done. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Notice what he doesn't say. He says, oh, God, I, I want to endure it. He didn't say I'm going to endure it. He says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He says, listen, my circumstances are not dictating my joy. That's happiness. Happiness is what depends on what happens. But joy is because it's based on God, his strength, and he knows who God is. He knows that God, who promised in the beginning of Genesis, will ultimately bring the the Messiah and redeem and restore what that which is wrong and make it right. So in verse 19, the God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places like a deer scattering up the top of the mountains. Man, he's short-footed. And so here's my thing this morning as we go out may we talk about the great things of God and may we be men who say this, God, the Lord is my strength. Listen, I don't know what's facing you. I don't know what circumstances emotionally and physically are you getting ready to face you or you are facing, but here's what I do know. You're, though, you're physical and our physical things may be weak spiritually. We can be strong because the Lord is our strength and open that This body will pass away and we'll get a new body. Listen, this is, we're just passerbyers. This is not our home. That's our home. changes our perspective. And so as you go out this, this weekend and you meet your neighbors and you go to work or wherever you go, know this, that the God, your Lord, is your strength. Right. Walk with God, man.